We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming at you Tuesday, late morning, May 9th. And the plan today uh, for this episode is to get back into the Wolves a little bit. I got Kyle Tige from Scorm North with me. And in an effort to hit on many things, Wolves, uh, Wolves offseason, we're going to do a mailbag. I put out a, a call for questions last week. Uh, we got a ton of them, so we're actually going to do a two-part mailbag, two separate uh, episodes. Part one will come out on Tuesday evening, and I think part two will be out on Wednesday in part two. So the things you won't really hear us hit on are Chris Finch, Mike Conley in the point guard position, got a bunch of Nikhil Alexander-Walker questions, and then just some miscellaneous different topics. So if you're looking for those things, know they're coming in the next episode. In part one, this episode, uh, the questions we'll focus on are going to be tied more to Tim Conley, uh, specifically as, you know, this will be a lot of off-season talk. We'll do kind of a salary cap overview just to review where the Wolves are at from a spending standpoint. Got some trade and hypothetical free agency questions. I dug into that a little bit less. I think, you know, that stuff we'll have more time to, to go into over the course of the off-season, but we'll hit on some of those. Also got a bunch of, like, run it back questions, uh, you know, kind of focusing on the feasibility of this roster as is what works, what could work, what are the expectations we have for it. And then if we have time, um, there's a handful of Anthony Edwards and Nas Reed questions. If we don't get to all those again, we'll put those into part two. Uh, but yeah, we'll try and get that all into this episode and anything we don't, we'll, we'll be in the next one. Kyle Tige with me, Kyle, how are you? You ready to do this? Oh, I'm doing well, man. We got a lot of good questions. So I was just kind of perusing as you were talking there. Um, but I think the first place to start, if you just want to get right into it, yep. is uh, with the Tim Conley stuff. Because that seems to be kind of the most important, the most, the freshest topic, right, to talk <laughs> about. I know we have some audio too. And then uh, it also seems like the most relevant because nothing you can really talk about the offseason matters before you decide, you know, who's actually calling the shots. Right. Yeah, we've learned that uh, over the past handful of years as there's been many different presidents of basketball operations. And I think for you know both of us, when we 
have talked about off seasons in the past. We we go off of what we understand the person in charge is, right? Like tendencies uh, to be, and we have a year of of Tim Conley to go off of. And if it were to be somebody else, you know, it'd be a whole different sort of set of things. So we'll we'll focus, you know, ninety five percent on uh, if it is Tim calling the shots. And, you know, what we think he might be inclined to do this offseason. But the place we should start, to your point, is with the idea that there's at least somewhat of a question mark of whether or not Tim Conley is going to be the one in charge for for the Wolves this year. At Media Day, um, it wasn't – he wasn't very reassuring – or not Media Day, end of season press conferences, it wasn't really reassuring uh, the the quote he gave about – his name coming up in the Washington job. Then he goes on WCCO radio last week with Chad Hartman and Chad kind of presses him on that again. And it's still a little bit of a floating question mark. If people uh, haven't heard that interview with Chad, I have that here. I talked to Chad and he's cool with us. He's cool with us playing it. So let's just to kind of frame what the Wolves off season is going to look like. We need to frame the idea that there is some looming doubt about who will be calling the shots. And again, if you haven't heard it and you're like, wait, what are you talking about? Doubt. I think this, this clip kind of illustrates some of the doubt that, that is out there. So again, here's uh, here's Tim Conley on with Chad Hartman on WCCO radio last week. You met the media last week. You said your exact quote was, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be here. That wasn't exactly a declarative statement. So let me ask you this. Do you want to right here say without any hesitation, I am staying with the Minnesota Timberwolves no matter what? Or do you just want to be honest and say, this is a unique job. This is home. And at this point, I cannot eliminate myself from that potential job opportunity? No, I'm just totally focused on the Timberwolves, trying to get us better. When we had a, you know, we didn't do better than last year, so we got to figure out how we can make this team better. Uh, just left the office watching draft videos, so we're, we're all, all eyes are on the Timberwolves, and now we can make this team better, and hopefully next time we have this conversation, it won't be this early in the season. Respectfully, though, that isn't really answering the question, right? I mean, you could just say that I 100% will be the Wolves' president of basketball operations next year. That's that's certainly the plan. That's why that's why we came here and moved here. And again, we got a lot of unfinished business, and it's been a really fun year, both on and off the court. And, um, and we're fully committed to being a Timberwolf. Is that the door opening the car, or is somebody tracking you down? Yeah, I had a no. Nah, it's a car. I, I, like a like a dumb dad. I forgot I had the stroller for my newborn, so I had to make a quick U turn to drop the stroller off. Yeah, nope. I just wanted to put that last part of their car, so it wasn't <laughs> clear that it was I was in a car with the with the door uh, ajar. Uh, you and I we texted a little bit um, about this last week on, I guess, our thoughts of that interview. Um, where are you at in, in terms of what Tim said at exit interviews and that, and and how, for you, in, in, in your job, how do you approach the offseason? I mean, and maybe you don't 
maybe you do take that to be a declarative statement. Maybe are, are you operating under the assumption that Tim Conley will be the one calling the shots here? And how does his comment since the season has ended impact what you feel on that? All right. To get back to the mailbag structure, mm-hmm. uh, our first question was from Cro- at Crockett BC on Twitter. Uh, well, what were your thoughts of the recent Tim Conley interview on the Chad Hartman show? So uh, shout out to, to Crockett BC. Cause that's kind of what got this rolling. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm trying. I'm really trying, Jennifer. I'm really trying. Uh, over at Flagrant House yesterday, Phil Mackey and I kind of broke that uh, audio down. Like, this is a Pruder film. Uh, just trying to figure out, like, there was... I keep coming back, Dane, to the fact that this man's been in the league for, like, 25 years, and anyone you talk to that's not a Wolves fan is, like, he's he's the best. He He has great relationships with agents, with players with other execs, all that stuff, uh, with media members. Um, so you would think in a situation like this, and there's what we talked about at Flagrant House is like, Chad Hartman is on WCCO, who is like the flagship partner of the Timberwolves. So that's how, you know, he probably gets that interview compared to maybe some other people in the local media that are trying to maybe get a hold of Tim or talk to him and stuff. Uh, and it's a really good way to press him. But if you knew you were going to do that interview, you have to know that that's like the first question you're going to get, right? That was the is, first, that was the first question of the interview, literally. I mean, I cut it. That's the, so, the first 90 seconds of the interview, yeah. So I'm not uh, – we all have different lives, and I don't know what it's like to be the president of basketball operations, but, like, I'm just going to let it rip. Like, I, I would have preferred that maybe he was sitting in his office for that one, you know, not, like, literally at the car wash or, like, running multi – you know, trying to multitask because it's a really big question, and I don't – I don't know, man. I, I'm going to defer to you here because my thoughts are so tangled on this topic. But you would just think like, hey, it would be nice if I'm trying to create a culture, a winning organization, stability, get away from the dysfunction, get away from the country club thing. Like, This is a really important question. Even if you don't think the fan base or whatever like you, you need to set some sort of like, no, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm here for the long. I, I came here for a reason. Like he said, we moved here for a reason. Okay, but. Have you liked living here for a year? Like, that's not an answer. Like, if I was like, yeah, you know, I moved to Tulum. It's like, well, I don't like living in Tulum. So I wish he would have just come out and been, he had the opportunity at exit interviews. He had the opportunity on on Chad Hartman's show to just be like, I am here. And I think he's here. I really do. I mean, I don't don't know if you've kind of like perused around the other stuff, but it doesn't, I don't even know if he's a candidate for the Wizards job, (laughs) to be honest. You know what I mean? Like, it might just be like, they don't want him, but he's interested in, you know, getting closer to home. But I just thought overall, it's kind of a ramble. I just wish he would have been better at being like, I'm here. Let's nip this right away so that we can all focus on one mission and kind of one aligned strategy moving forward. And that's with me here. That's with Finch here. Mm-hmm. That's with, you know, Ant being the focal point and all that stuff. And it was just kind of a dropped, kind of dropped the ball in terms of eliminating any extra drama. And this franchise, man, doesn't need any more drama. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. Uh, I The way I understand it is there's, you know, it, it has been a, a lingering thing. Um, I think dating back a couple months now, there was serious questions in league circles whether or not uh, Tommy Shepard would remain in charge of the Wizards. Obviously, he gets uh, let go, and then names start trickling out as they do, and, and Tim's is is one of those, I think, through that, you know, there's there's some intrigue on their side to to bring in to bring in Tim Conley, and then I think 
I don't know this, but naturally, I think as a human, like you said, like that's where you're from. Um, there's that's where you started your career. There's there's probably some intrigue there as well. You would like to just have whatever it was going to be, yeah, determined before you had to speak to the media or before, yeah, before now when it's time to kind of start digging in. I mean, what are we like five weeks away from the draft? Like it's it's kind of it's kind of like go time for a president of basketball operations. And in that, and for the fan base, you would like to know uh, what is exactly going on. I don't know exactly what is going on. Um, I think we can just take that, as I've said the words question mark like six times. I think there is somewhat of a question mark. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how small it is. But those type of statements lead to a question mark. So I think more like productively, for our sake, we can talk about, you know, what would this look like just briefly, you know, if, if he does leave, because I think the fan base has some questions about that. We got questions the, from the sauce O three on Twitter. If Tim Conley leaves for Washington, what would the ramifications be? Um, Brian solo asked if Tim Conley goes to Washington is Gupta, his replacement. And to just hit those quickly, as I understand it, Conley is uh, under contract. So if he were to leave, yes, there would need to be some sort of compensation, paid there in terms of, you know, draft picks. And maybe that's a whole negotiation and who knows, maybe that's the reason he can't say anything, whatever. Uh, In terms of, I've got this question from, from a handful of people, you know, if Tim leaves, like who would you expect to take over? And I I have no idea. Um, I don't know if it would be Gupta. My inclination would be to say, no, it wouldn't be as from where I sit, he took a more of a significantly more of a back seat than just like in the pecking order of the front office compared to where he was in Rosa's front office, or of course, once Rosa's was gone and he was running the show. So I don't know, man, <laughs> like in terms of, yeah, if, if he's gone, I, I think that opens up a whole can of worms and it's really connected to the off season and uh, what the wolves may or may not do because Again, if it were somebody else in charge internally or externally, that person is going to have a different set of, you know, beliefs of what's best for this roster, right? And what we've talked about before is the idea that so long as Tim is in charge, I would be very surprised to see something that doesn't rem- resemble quote unquote running it back right i i think the the likelihood that you keep the two bigs together is very high um if, if tim is here and then naturally just out of change if it would be somebody else there's a greater likelihood that they wouldn't be as bought into the structure of this roster right than than tim would be and so that's the can of worms right that it then we're talking about a whole different layer um of of change in this for the sake of this episode we are going to be operating under what I think is the significantly most, I don't know, significantly, the the most likely outcome or the present outcome of who runs this team, which is, is Tim Connolly. So we are going to operate under the assumption that, uh, that Tim is going to continue to run the show and, uh, and go like operate within the, the realm of what we understand him to be. So, to that end, and we can talk about Conley a little bit uh, throughout this, but let's let's do the let's do the salary cap overview sort of thing. You want to 
handle that question? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me scroll scroll through. Uh, this is probably a good way to start. So we, we set the table, like you said, of we're moving forward until we have a breaking news pod <laughs> that differs, right? That, that Tim Connolly is the guy making calling the shots. So we did have a question from Daniel at large on Twitter. Can you go through the t- just this is kind of just a general one. Can you go through the team's salary cap and draft capital for the next couple of years? Kind of a, you know, state of the timber or state of the franchise moment here. Um, and he was like, just think it would be a good to see the ledger before we go off the deep end with trades for agent ideas. Uh, so as I've always said, you are like millennial uh, Larry Kuhn when it comes to the CBA and we can probably get into some of the new CBA stuff down the road too, but what is just their general as it pertains to May, 2023? And what do the books look like? What does the yeah. structure look like for this team? So uh, I think the place to start is that the salary cap is $134 million uh, for, for next season. That's, that's that line there. Um, the Wolves have 11 players under contract for next season that add up to $144 million. So they're, 10 million over the cap with four open roster spots. Those four roster spots that are open are because Nas Reed, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Jalen Noel, and Austin Rivers are all free agents. Also Luca Garza and Matt Ryan is free agents off their two ways. But those are the those are the four holes in the roster um, that you will need to place replace. And from a salary cap standpoint, they're gonna have roster holds on them, etc. That's a little in the weeds. But eleven players, $144 million. Uh, which is 10 over the cap. I don't think the cap, I mean, just in general in the NBA, the line you want to be looking at is the luxury tax line. Um, that's more functions as a cap uh, in the NBA in this day and age, just because the a lot of teams aren't going to spend in the luxury tax. I think particularly with the Timberwolves, when we know they're going to certainly be in the tax a year from now, I think we can draw a real line in the sand for this summer, assuming that they won't go into the tax because if they are in the tax this year and they're definitely in the tax next year, now you're in that repeater tax thing and you're paying Golden State Warriors type money in tax allocation. So for the sake of this, 162, that's the luxury tax line. I think we should view that as kind of the spending limit for this team. 162, got 144 million on your books already. That means you got 18 million in space below the tax with four open roster spots. So that's what we should look at. 18 million below the tax. And then you have those four players that are free agents, Nas, Nikhil, Jalen, and Austin. And you go, okay, 18, like kind of figure Jalen Noel is going to be gone. Austin Rivers, probably a minimum player, even if he's back, you know, kind of cross those guys out and you go, all right, 18, like 18 is probably around what Nas and Nikhil would cost. Right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Like I'm kind of thinking yeah, 12 I'm, for I'm, Nas, six for Nikhil, something like that within that range. I, I still firmly believe that Nas Reed's contract is going to come in lower than what we hmm. maybe thought when he was like yamming on people in February. Right. And and the reason I say 12 is that the mid-level line is about 12, 12 and a half. I think that's kind of where that's where I, I assume uh, Nas will wind up somewhere in that that sort of range. But again, you go, OK, so even call it 12 for Nas, six for Nikhil. That's your 18. You're like, cool, we are good that's 13 players um you're right up against the tax but the factor i think we need to really think about is not just Nas and Nikhil you also have to factor in the mid-level exception which the wolves have to be able to spend that's what they use the mid-level is something you can use to spend over the cap it's about 12 and a half million dollars this year 
That's what they used on Kyle Anderson last season, right? They were over the cap, signed Kyle with the mid-level. That, that's who they were able to bring in. So I think we're kind of getting to this point where you need to choose two out of three things between Nas, Nikhil, and the mid-level. Now, there's maybe a line I just want to like talk about here that could get you to all three. I think that's, that's what Wolves fans want to hear. How do we use the mid-level? How do we resign Nas and how do we resign Nikhil? That's the, you want the goop to shit, right? Like to finagle that all together to, to be able to happen. And the way I think you can do that and be close to the tax, slightly below it, is if you waive Torian Prince, who's on a non-guaranteed contract for next season for $7.7 million. You waive Jordan McLaughlin or you don't pick up his team option for $2.3 million. And Nate Knight also has a $1.9 million team option. Torian Prince, 7.7, plus Jordan McLaughlin, 2.3, plus Nate Knight, 19. That's 12 right there. So that kind of buys you, in a way, if you let go of all three of those guys, a way to get Nas for his number, re-sign Nikhil, which, and maybe that Nikhil number, I don't know. I'm just guessing right there. But in theory, if you get rid of Prince, McLaughlin, and Knight, you could be right at or around the tax. By bringing back Nas, bringing back Nikhil, and using the mid-level exception. Now, maybe you can't use the mid-level to its full 12-5. Maybe you got to do like a $9 million contract in that. You don't have to use the full mid-level. But uh, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it is I think you potentially could bring back Nas, bring back Nikhil, and use the mid-level exception, and to stay underneath the tax, wave Torian Prince, Jordan McLaughlin, and Nate Knight. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that was a word salad, I think, for some. But it's important to listen to because it does it does kind of set like this is you really do have to understand the Excel spreadsheet, right, of mm-hmm. of the payroll for this team moving forward because we have so many questions that were submitted about trades and free agents on stuff, and it's like okay, as much as and I always try to comp my love for professional sports to just day-to-day life. But at the end of the day, man, this is still, you have a budget, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And there's only so, if you've spent and allocated a bunch of your money to, you know, two really big guys and a little over here and a couple, you know, a couple bags of money for Ant and Jaden, like you really do run out of resources or your budget becomes pretty limited. So I think you painted a pretty good picture that like it, there is a feasible way is what you're saying, right? That you could still keep Nas, still keep Nah. And use that mid-level to kind of, again, not just completely run it back, right? Mm -hmm. Because running it back is essentially, you know, the pseudo, the same rotation, the same guys. Still gives you a little, I mean, everyone loves in the offseason, you want new, right? You want change. So that mid-level is, as you're saying, is is on the table. And I know I mentioned this earlier, but we'll get into it, I think, you and I, throughout the summer as we learn more. But I don't know about you, but I've like started to nerd out a little bit and just read every new article about that new CBA that was recently agreed upon uh, like a month ago. And I don't think even teams really fully understand it yet, but that is going to be something for, for the number of nerds out there like myself or you that we're going to be talking about almost every podcast this summer, because there are some ramifications of this new CBA that are going to make it like damn near impossible to do what the wolves might be trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's even, 
even just a difference of a million or two million here in terms of what an exception is or what the cap number is or what the tax number is, like the Wolves were actually a good example of how that matters, right? Because even one or two million pushes you into the tax, right? Or keeps you mm-hmm. below the tax. And again, to just kind of hit that point home, people are like, oh, you know, A-Rod and Lori are rich or owners pay the tax, whatever, whatever. Like I would be saying that if we didn't know that next season's tax number is going to be so high and part of the salary cap is this repeater tax and the idea that you don't want to be in the luxury tax for multiple years for a list of reasons, but namely because it would be, you know, super expensive. The one other thing I want to say with the luxury tax before we take our first break is it doesn't need to be like a hard line. You can start the season in the tax by like 800 K, you know, you're not a tax team then, right? Like, you can shed that in the middle of the season. So I think that might be the, if I just had to guess where it goes, like maybe you're right around that number. Maybe you're slightly above it and you find a way to get under it during, during the middle of the season. But it really is a game of a million here, a million there. And it's why, you know, to the Nas point, which we'll get into later this episode or the next one of like, that's why they're pinching on these numbers, right? That's why 10 would be a lot better than 12 for Nas or mm-hmm, 9, right. right? It's it's that it's that couple million um, here or there. So that'll kind of frame what our our view of this and our, our talking about the trades and free agency and stuff throughout the rest of this episode. I do want to grab our first break here, Kyle, um, and then uh, we can jump kind of more into these trade free agency hypotheticals and other things uh, related to Conley and the salary cap as well if we want to get into those. But our first break, we'll be back with Kyle. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore. And did you know that research shows looking tired negatively affects your ability to be successful? As if life wasn't hard enough, right? But a study in the Sleep Journal found that individuals who were perceived as tired were less approachable than others. So good luck getting that raise, that girl or guy or that prospect you're trying to land if people don't want to be around you. But don't worry, Land and Lore has you covered. At Land and Lore, they created products designed to wake your face up. So if you spend all night watching reruns of Ant putting it on Gabe Vincent, or Pat Bev dancing on the scorer's table, they got you covered. And as fans of the Timberwolves, they know life isn't full of highlights, so they have one for you. Use promo code 20CAVEMAN at checkout on Amazon.com to get 20% off their two best items, the face cleanser and moisturizer. That's 20CAVEMAN for 20% off Land and Lore face cleanser and moisturizer when you purchase on Amazon. Today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company, and we wanted to let you know that Falling Knife is having their all-day outdoor brewery festival called Open Season 23 this Saturday, May 13th from 1 to 10 p.m. I'm going to head over there to check out the block party setup where the Falling Knife guys are not only releasing three new bottles, but also having live music all day from 90s-ish cover bands. Smile Like You Mean It will be performing The Killers, Pleaser performing Weezer, Panic at the Costco performing Blink-182, Nirvana performing Nirvana, and Heartless performing Heart, along with DJ Truck Stash performing with, between all the sets. So come out to Northeast, wear some Wolves gear, and hang out at Falling Knife Brewing all afternoon. We love the Falling Knife crew, and I'd love for you to see their setup on one of the biggest days of the year for them. Again, that's cover bands from your younger years all day at Falling Knife Brewing Company this Saturday, May 10th from 1 p.m. to 10 p.m., See you there. I'll probably be wearing a Nasri shirt. All right, we're back with Kyle Teige uh, from Score North. Kyle, the next kind of section we have here, I labeled it a bunch of different questions. We can grab a few of them. 
just trade slash free agency hypotheticals. Do you have one you want to start with? Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm looking at the same sheet we had, but we, we, we've set the Tim Conley thing, right? We said that we believe on May 9th that that man's going to be making the decisions moving forward until we learn otherwise. And you've kind of laid out the financial setup. So I think we're in a good foundation here. So I was, I was hopping around our Google doc, but I kind of want to go back to question earlier. Do you, th- this is from Danny Husk. Okay. Cause it falls into the trades and free agency stuff. Do you think that based on our salary cap discussion, do you think that it's possible that the grand plan that Tim Conley had when he took the job last summer was always to trade Carl Anthony Towns this summer? And he listed two reasons. One, his contract grows by a little over $13 million next summer. And then Tim believing, maybe, that you can't win a championship with a center that isn't like a plus defender um, based on his experiences, you know, in the league and having good defenders and rim protectors and stuff. So that would kind of kick off our transactions mm-hmm. and chaos and notifications and Woj bombs summer. But do you think that was part of the plan? Do you think that when making the Rudy Gobert trade, the exit door was always, well, if we need to recoup assets or the fit is wonky, that will move the guy that probably has more value than what I think a lot of fans would want to do. And that's just cut the cord on the Gobert experiment. Yeah. I mean, look, man, it's like all of these front offices, like this is what they do. They have these conversations like you and I have once a month, they have them daily. Right. And they have them way smarter than, than we do because they're way smarter and they have way more details and they have way more resources and stuff like that. And I mean that to be on the proverbial whiteboard, they got a million different paths, right. That, that they look at to consider from a, you know, a one-year standpoint, a two-year, three-year, five-year, whatever it might be. And it would be irresponsible to not have, if you're making all these different paths, not have a, I don't even know if it's a break glass in, in case of emergency one, but a pivot, a, a significant pivot. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and I think we're all kind of aligned in this, that if a significant pivot uh, is coming, it would, one, be to break up the the double big idea because whatever they they tried it and if, if they believe which I don't think they do but if and when they did believe that it wouldn't work the pivot would be Carl right for for a handful of different reasons because he's kind of at that that time in his career but also from from a salary standpoint of the number on his sa- on his contract jumping i think that's what the really interesting part of this kind of unfortunate conversation to have about Carl is it's a, it's a business conversation, right? About the numbers, about the money and about needing to build something big picture. And, and the, the salary jump for him that doesn't happen this year, this year, he's going to make 36 million. And then he goes up into that 50, the next year, 54, 58, 62. Those are, those are his numbers going forward. And, and I really just think about this again, he stripped down, all emotions, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, credit to Carl for being here. But again, just from like a business standpoint, if that is on your whiteboard as a potential path, that path would make, would be significantly easier to navigate if you took it now, right? When Carl's number's 36 rather than in the 50s. Simply from a standpoint, right? I, I think about it from a super simple standpoint of like matching that salary. Right, if it's thirty six, now you're more talking about 
you don't necessarily have to bring a max player back in that deal. It could kind of be like the Gobert trade where you get, you know, a handful of like good role players, Pat Bev's, Beasley's, Vandos, that sort of thing. You could kind of compile that together in four players and get up to 36. I think once he's in the 50s, now you're talking about a max player would have to come back, which on one hand, people are like, sweet, like a max player, you know, coming back onto this team, that'd be great. But what type of max player is that? Is it as is it a more of a depressed asset in some sort of way? And I think that comes back to what's your primary goal if, again, if, if you're wanting to trade Carl, are you trying to get back players immediately win now, right? Like, or or as part of your motivation, draft capital to get back. So as for drafting players in the future, you're limited on draft capital, or just as chips to be able to be traded in future trades, which they're super, they're super limited on, uh, of course. So I, I think it's just a really, it's a really complicated conversation in that Carl is the staple of, of the franchise, the pil- a pillar of the franchise for the past decade. Um, but from a financial standpoint, yeah, you're, you're looking at this and I don't know how you couldn't be if you're Tim Conley in the front office, considering that pivot at at some point uh, down the line. I think what really complicated it is the fact that Carl had such a broken up season due to the injuries. If if he would have played, you know, 75 games and Rudy played 75 games and the end result was kind of the feeling of how it feels now, right? Then maybe you can get to that pit. You get to that pivot point this off season. I, I get the sense that given all those excuses, mostly legitimate that you have, that it would just be too soon uh, to make that pivot. But yeah, I, I think it's on their whiteboard. I, I don't know how, how it couldn't be. And if it's not, it's a failure. Because I think of like the NFL draft, and I just, like you see those rooms full of 90 people. I have no <laughs> idea what they all do. But they basically have like a, one of those charts where it's like, if this happens, then yeah. we do this. And if this happens, then we do this. So, and actually literally being, I remember way back in the day when I was like working for the links and the links, I would like stumble into the links front, like, they have those whiteboards, like it's a real thing. They just have whiteboards <laughs> upon whiteboards with every person's, you know, name, social security number, and everything in the league. That they can kind of move the the magnets around. So I don't know if it was as specific as maybe the question is. It's like they referred to Carl as the break glass in case of emergency thing, but I do think that that was probably a conversation that was had mm-hmm. because, like you said, these teams are planning out multiple years ahead and that's why this new cba is going to kind of throw a wrench into that just because you had kind of built out your plans moving forward and now right you're basically being shifted and forced and that's i mean i don't know if you heard this this was on nba countdown the other night but Woj even mentioned that he expects this summer to be very very active in terms of trades Mm. because you're going to have so many teams that are looking at their finances and it's like we can't I think Woj referred to it as you can't have the third star. Right. <laughs> like, you know, we want to put that third star in a different market and we want to break it up, like you said, into smaller pieces that we can maybe, you know, cut or move or whatever, because it's going to get harder and harder in the league once these salaries. I mean, everything's going up, right? Well, the and price it's of the eggs tax. Is going up. It's, it's the, it's the tax. I mean, that's the reason for the third star is that you, so many teams, that's the way they've been building. And it's like, okay, if it works and we have our three stars, then we get up into the tax and that's fine at that point. But now the main thing, or a main thing from the new CBA, is how much more painful it is going to be to be in that tax, particularly 
if it is for multiple seasons, not only from a dollars and cents standpoint, but in terms of spending power. So to the Wolves, you are on your way very obviously into exactly what Woj is saying Mm -hmm. you can't do. You got two players on super maxes and Ant on his way to a rookie max. And if he makes all NBA, that designated max where it's up to 30%, I mean, that's about as expensive of a three max player situation as, as you could as you could possibly have. So if that's the word, as Woj would know better than I would, of course, you know, yes, you have to be thinking about these sort of things. You have to be thinking about a pivot, whether it be now, it doesn't need to be now, right? Ant's contract doesn't kick in until 2024-25. Cat's raise doesn't kick in until 24-25. Jaden doesn't get his raise until then. So it's it's this weird, like, it's not immediate, but it's coming situation that, I don't know, I, I, I should do some more research into, like, Looking at past times, like maybe Dame in Portland when he signed his Supermax thing, it was like the multiple years down the road like Katz was, how those teams uh, operated. Point being, it's it's going to be complicated, and you need to nurture your spending uh, accordingly or make your moves accordingly. And again, I go back to the numbers, nerds. It's going to be the prevalent conversation moving forward Yeah, because we are now less than a year out, we believe, from when the ownership change will actually officially happen. There'll be no more layaway plan. And we don't know mm. if new ownership is willing to, to pay the tax, right? Cause paying the tax is one thing like paying a penalty is one thing, but you're also then not receiving tax payments. So yes. it's kind of like a double F you plus, and again, going back to this new CBA and stuff, one term you're going to hear all the time now on NBA Twitter or any podcast you listen to is this term second apron. Because that's one of the new kind of wrinkles of this CBA. And in the past, if you go over the luxury tax, whatever, you pay a big penalty, right? You pay a multiplier or whatever, pay the repeater tax. Well, now that like second apron starts limiting you, like you don't get a mid level mm-hmm. or you can't trade future draft picks so far in, into the future. So, again, like some of that stuff, can't I can't take to wrap back my head more, around. Yeah, same. But you another one, you can't take so back more now. money. Like there's a yep. lot of things that seem small but piled up together. Are, I mean, that's literally the goal, or it's the goal of it, right? Is to disincentivize Clippers and Warriors type spending. That is yes. like the plan. And while the Timberwolves, you would not associate with those teams in California, like it's almost not about California. It's about how the cost of your roster is growing. And it's kind of hurting teams that are, have effectively like internally grown you know players like the wolves have with ant who's a no-brainer max contract Jaden, who's a you know no-brainer 20 million plus player like it's kind of unfortunate timing to be where the wolves are at from a from a cba standpoint or or it's about to be uh that makes sense let's let's grab one of these uh let's grab one of the hypothetical ones. I don't know. You yeah, want to do would, a trade one or are you more like a free agency uh, one? Let's, let's do a trade one and I'll kind of loop them all in, but shout out to uh, Wim Nessens, uh, the Colossal Wolf, and who else do I want to pick? And uh, this is Minnesota Sports, all on Twitter. Uh, basically, just a variety of different questions. I don't want to get too specific, but like one of them was, you know, when you've been talking about with Britt specifically, like Rudy making it harder for Ant and Cat to drive, but mm-hmm. like, what are your thoughts on maybe a Miles Turner. He's been kicked around, you know, for years being associated with Minnesota. He signed a contract extension, I think, mm-hmm. this yeah. in the season. Uh, another one was like, 
thoughts on a potential Ben Simmons trade. Uh, and then just, I pick this one, but would you like Dylan Brooks? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, yeah. so, so some of those guys, I don't want to go specifically into each one because ooh, I don't want to waste five minutes on a Miles Turner trade if Indy has no plan on trading him. But could you see it being one of those situations where they move on from a, you know, they wanted to have this rim protecting guy like a Gobert and like, that's not working personality yeah. fit, whatever. And we shift him for just a different type of rim protector, like a Miles Turner. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting more from a, like a, a, a discussion idea than like a likelihood one. Right. Like I, I long time listeners uh, of me know that I like way back was, was of the mind, which is kind of, <laughs> it's funny in, in light of how I feel about the double big experiment right now. But like, you know, three years ago, I was super on the moving Carl to the four and, and bringing in another big to put next to him. My main thing was another big who, who could one, one, my biggest thing was I wanted to take Carl out of the main pick and roll defensive responsibilities, which Rudy does. Right. You know, I never thought Carl's like, to reach his defensive ceiling, I always thought it was going to be not in like as the five or not in drop coverage. Right. Um, so a, a name I really focused on was miles Turner back then, because I liked the idea of Carl not being uh, your drop center and the idea of Turner being able to defend the rim, but also be able to spread the floor. That's what Turner can do that Rudy can't, not that Turner's necessarily a better player for sure, but it would, it would very much shift the whole kind of, landscape of the floor from an offensive standpoint without shifting the defensive landscape, which I think if you think about it, like you kind of liked the defense this season, it worked well with an elite rim protector and Rudy in the drop there. And Carl worked well enough off ball and could potentially grow there as he gets healthier. So it's like, to me, and you know, maybe it isn't from a trade, but like the general idea of like adding another big to this, whether it's a third big in the Nas role, if Nas doesn't come back or eventually down the line, when they do pivot the second big next to Carl, I would still like to be a player of the miles Turner archetype who defends the rim at a level similar to arguably better than Rudy now does while also being able to spread the floor. You could play five out with them. You could play pick and pop. So to answer Wim's question, yes, I would still be intrigued by that. What's the feasibility of that? I don't know. So I'm more thinking about as we talk about adding other players along the way, and if it's just a, a free agent, like one of these, these questions was, you know, just like kind of minimum level players. If Nas is gone, like even someone like Mike Muscala for like the minimum, right? Like, here we go, baby. Off season <laughs> talk is in no, no. I, I, <laughs> I'm just like, that's what I would, if you don't have Nas, I would want to have more of that type of center that can offensively, uh, allow you to spread the floor. Muscala is not going to bring you the rim protection anywhere near uh, Turner's ability, but just like that. I, I I still think the dream type of center next to Carl, in my opinion, is is somebody uh, like Miles Turner. That would be if they made a Rudy trade, which I absolutely don't think they would. Um, I would be much more interested in a Miles Turner than a Ben Simmons, right? Uh, and Ben, the whole Ben Simmons question, that one's super loaded, but it's interesting. It is. No, the Ben Simmons one from at the Colossal Wolf is interesting only because you start to strip away just the like trade and you start to think about like the, the context or like the narrative, right? Like 
the Brooklyn Nets or where Ben Simmons play, not to, he doesn't play, but that's Lips. where Ben Simmons, I guess, collects <laughs> paychecks. But, you know, Conley Towns is from that area. Yeah. Um, that Brooklyn Nets team seems like a team now that's kind of, I wouldn't say on the rise, but they, I think they did pretty well in the Kevin Durant trade. Sure. Anytime you give up Kevin Durant, you're going to lose the trade. But to get Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson and those picks that they got, and they might be like, okay, their owner has shown no propensity to want to rebuild. Like, they want to be good. So, yeah, if you I, had Ben Simmons, like, that's, if I'm Brooklyn, right? Like, I am trying, assuming you're Brooklyn, you're like, all right, Ben, it's not going to happen here. You are going out to try and get another player who makes similar money to Simmons and that is has become or is more of a depressed asset than they used to be. And to that end, in ways, Rudy and Carl both fit that, right? Like, Rudy and Carl's value today is not what it was two years ago or a year ago, right? Um, but the feasibility from the Wolves' side, that's that's a whole different question. It would look so desperate, I think, t- to be like, all right, this didn't work. We're going to go get Ben Simmons, the even more desperately dysfunctional uh, type of player. But it's interesting. It, it would be the way to swap out max players and recoup value, right? If Ben Simmons was right. the main piece. Yeah, because you're getting picks back. back in that deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah, sure. You for know what I mean? Because sure. one of those guys is an all-NBA guy, and the other one just lives in Calabasas and, during and, the season. And and I don't – and I again, kind of like the Miles Turner part, I don't mean this from a literal like that would be the swap, but to think about how you could move Rudy or how you could move Cat as – Clearly, hundreds of people who sent us questions are interested in that idea. We bring those up to be like, particularly the Simmons one of like, if it's also a goal to recoup assets in a major way, you're getting a pretty broken asset back in in that trade. That's just the nature, given how much uh, the money would be, or at least that that's that's kind of my read on on that part of it. it and listen. I know after a while cheering for or following, covering, cheering for a certain player, you kind of get bored with them or maybe frustrated. But if you are frustrated by whatever Carl Thay Towns does that frustrates you, maybe changing his voice in a podcast or whatever, just wait till you have Ben Simmons on your team. Because <laughs> that man changes a lot of different things. Uh, none of them are production on the court. So uh, that, that was a good question. Also, too, I'm just kind of throwing this one in there now because it's so far been the one rapid fire here. That it's going to be talked about a lot because it's the simplest, as you said, max contract player for max contract player. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the Ben Simmons idea because, as Tim Conley did smartly say at e- exit interviews, everything we do moving forward is about how it fits around Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. And does Ben Simmons fit around Anthony Edwards? Actually, maybe kind of nicely back in like when he was you know playing in Australia, but <laughs> he doesn't play, and I don't want any of that yeah. extra stuff. Like I want to eliminate after 34 years of cheering for this team, like I want to eliminate that stuff. That's the ugly stuff. That's drama. The, you know, all that stuff. Another player that would be. Can I say one more thing on the Ben Simmons part? Because, because similar to like in the Turner time again, like three years ago, when we were talking, when this roster was building, right? These are the type, you kind of knew that eventually this team was going to go after another 30 ish million dollar player. That's why we're talking about miles Turner. That's why we talked about Ben Simmons back then. And a reason I was really big on Ben Simmons, again, three years ago, was I thought Ben Simmons, like three years ago, was the best perimeter defender in the NBA. And I looked at the Wolves roster, and I looked at Carl Anthony Towns as the tent pole of it, and it was extremely glaring, obvious need to me to have 
an elite, elite perimeter defender. What I think has changed, outside of all Ben Simmons' crap, is the fact that the Wolves have one of those now in Jaden McDaniels. Yeah. And yeah. that, to me, would massively decrease that the main thing I would be interested in uh, in Ben Simmons. But anyways, continue. Well, and also, too, if you watch any of the playoffs right now, which I want to get into maybe in part two, just kind of looking at how the playoffs have evolved in the second round and comparing it to the Wolves, like no good team in 2023 is going to have Ben Simmons and Rudy Gobert on the floor at the same time. Yeah, yeah right. You just can't have two, <laughs> two non-shooters. Yes. But what I was trying to circle back is like Ben Simmons and all his, as you eloquently said, crap. I don't want that around Ant. Mm. The same goes for what is a popular one-for-one swap would be like the Conley Towns for Trey Young stuff. Right, you know, yeah, like maybe yeah. Trey doesn't work in Atlanta. You flip it. I, I don't know. I think Trey Young's a pretty good player. I probably like him a little more than most, but that's why would you want that right. next to this kid that you're trying to build everything around? Yeah. And, and you know, and then you got to look at the rest of the roster too. I mean, you got Mike Conley and all those sort of, I mean, that's why this stuff is hard, right? Like, and, and it's kind of a case to be made for the running it back, right? Is that any sort of major shift that you were to make of the Turner, Simmons, Young, whatever, there'll be other names that are floated over the course of the summer. You got to remember like the displacement value that we just experienced with Rudy Gobert, right? Of a new player in and it's disorienting and it takes a long time to get on a track. So if you were to make some sort of cat or Rudy trade, you're bringing in somebody else who is even less acclimated with the situation than those two are. And maybe they're not both centers and maybe there's that's that part's great, whatever. But I get that part of the wanting to run it back and not wanting to make another shift because I get the part about Ant wanting to build around Ant, wanting him to go to the playoffs consistently, wanting to have him be a, a good environment and a big trade messes that up. It to some extent even if to some extent uh, it's it's beneficial to hit on. Uh, actually, let's grab another break here uh, and then let's hit on a couple like specific. We got some specific free agent questions yep. about uh, what these guys uh, can potentially do this summer. So let's hit another break and uh, and then we'll get to that. Let's actually do our uh, our prize picks segment live. Um, we're going to we're going to pick a couple guy. I picked two guys. I don't know how many you did uh, from the from the Nuggets Suns uh, layout. And on prize picks tonight in, in that matchup, what stood out to you on the board at prize picks there? Uh, my first one was Jamal Murray over 32 and a half points and assists. Uh, I thought Jamal Murray was pretty bad in game four. Uh, it was pretty much Jokic and, and no other uh, mm-hmm. running mates. And I just think Jamal, Jamal Murray has uh, kind of, he's pretty competitive against Devin Booker. I mean, him and those two kind of have a thing going. So, I think back home, game five in Denver, Jamal Murray responds. And, I mean, he might get 33 points alone. So adding in the assists is pretty easy. So 32 and a half points and assists over for Jamal Murray. I'll do my two quick, and then I'll give you uh, the second one. Uh, I'm thinking about this one from an adjustment standpoint off of the last game, which is I think you need to load up more on KD and Booker and force. You know, they did that in the second half, right? They're bringing that. Harden double that double we saw in Ant all the time. Just get it the hell out of their hands as much as possible. And to that end, I like KD's assist number is six. Booker's was eight. KD looks a little bit more willing to pass than Booker does. So I'm going to take uh, KD <laughs> over uh, six assists. And then Jokic's assist number was just nine. Um, I think ever that's under ten because 
Like, hey, 53 last game. Like, you know, they're not doubling him. They're, they're, you know, they're letting him be a scorer. Well, he also had 11 assists when he had, went, while he had uh, 53 points in that game. So I think you see a little bit more uh, lurker, doubler on Jokic because you can't let him go off again, I think, particularly at home. So taking the assists for KD and Jokic over, over there. This one sucks, but I'm going to do DeAndre Ayton over 12 and a half points. I saw that one too. Uh, I like that. Yeah. It, it's it's only because, uh, I don't know if you saw this, by the way, he nicknamed himself like Dominating or something. It was one of the, like, if again, if if you don't like Carl Anthony Towns, man, go look at some other centers and the things they say around the league. Like, he is a weirdo. Anyway, 12 and a half is just too low for a guy that I know they've really enjoyed playing Landale a little bit more. That uh, I think they got him from Atlanta, but... They need Aiton to play as many minutes as possible because he's still their best hope to slow down Jokic at all. Uh, and 12 and a half is just, I mean, that's, you know, a couple baskets and a couple free throws. So they need him if they have any chance right. to win one of these games in Denver. They need Aiton to have, you know, 14 and 12. So 12 and a half is just really low. He, Yes, I think he only scored eight points in game four and four in game three. But he needs to be on the court if Phoenix has any chance. So I liked over 12 and a half points for him. I like those too. Uh, prizepicks.com or the Prize Picks app. If you do not have an account and you want to play uh, for the playoffs, you can sign up using the promo code Dane uh, at Prize Picks. That'll give you a $100 sign up bonus. We'll take an actual ad break here and then we'll be back to talk. Take a couple more mailbag questions uh, before we wrap up part one. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate. And that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, it was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, Check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Dane Moore for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again. Create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Kyle, let's uh, let's hit on one or two of these kind of free agent signing type ones. You mentioned the Dylan Brooks one, uh, or the, the question was, I'll read this question. This one was from This Is MN Sports. With Pat Bev gone, it seemed like the team suffered for not having a player with an edge. Does that ring true to you as someone who covered the team closely? If so, who are some players they could acquire to give the team more of a jerk factor outside of Dylan Brooks? I'm going to start by saying... I don't think Dylan Brooks would be that terrible. Like everybody would be like, no, hell no. Thank I think you. that's what everyone Thank you. This is, is going to get us roasted, but I have, that's in my notes too. If you like, believe that, sure? if you believe that, like you actually need the jerk factor as, as he said, um, a lot, a lot of other guys that are like that, as we kind of saw with like Pat Bev are very limited elsewhere. And like, Dylan Brooks is too audacious of a shooter. I get that, but it's not like he has no offensive game, right? He would give you another, he would give you another perimeter defender in addition to Jaden. And I, you know, I'm sure there would be chaos and everything that would come with that. But as I was going through the list of free agents, like, and we talk about depressed assets, like I don't know, you might be able to get him for not that much money. The other guys I put down that I felt fit that I think Bruce Brown uh, would be awesome on this team. I think that's probably your full mid-level exception. So what's the functionality there? Javon Carter uh, is is another one that I brought up. And then Joe Ingles also. Uh, there was mm. another question. I don't know if that who that was from. Uh, shoot, it was from Duba Snacks. Uh, Wolves need, the Wolves' need for shooting is obvious. Who are the best free agents available uh, in that? Joe Ingles is an elite shooter. Obviously, he's getting older, the knee and everything. He's also got some of that jerk factor uh, to him as well. So that was a, a few of the guys I put down there as well. Did I already say Javon Carter? Uh, that would be yep. uh, another one there as well. You got any? Yeah. The, well, the Dylan Brooks one, again, it, that would all depend on, you know, role that you agree to, right, when, yeah. when talking to him. And then also just what is he going to demand? Because mm-hmm. if you get Dylan Brooks on a really cheap salary, you know, I remember Pat Bev a couple weeks ago on his pod, and we love Pat Bev. Like hang the hang the retire the number in the rafters, but he was saying like, well, I'm I'm hoping to get 15 million this summer. Yeah, you know, like that. If as much as I'd like to have Pat Bev back, if that's what he's looking for, we've already gone over that. That's literally not possible. Right. So if you can get another guy, like you want cheap jerk are, factor. That that's yeah, what the cheap, wolves are at. I want a cheap jerk. Yeah, for sure. So anyone that's like 
can fit this. And also the wolves are already kind of hated, right? Like people don't like Gobert, people don't like Carl. Like they're kind of this weird pseudo. They're not on the level of the Grizzlies, but kind of this bad boy. Everyone hates them, whatever. It's like, just lean into that, bring in more jerks. (laughs) And just, it would, uh, I think you would have a good role too. I mean, his shot is weird both aesthetically and percentage-wise, but <laughs> he also is, you know, going back to what we've talked about all season, if he, if this team believes their identity is being really good defensively because you've seen what your two, you know, young foundational pieces and, and Ant and Jaden can do and maybe you still have Rudy yeah. and you got those other guys, just leaning into more defense, a lineup with Dylan Brooks and Ant and Jaden and Rudy and Josh Minor, like that team is going to probably, teams will probably just give up points. Like they'll just like, their point total will go down just those five on the floor. So yeah, there was a couple other questions too, just in general. Do you have any other free agents off the, I like the Joe Ingles one, the Bruce Brown one to some might not sound sexy, but he has been a key cog Mm. in what they're doing in Denver this season. Um, But do you have any other ones that off the top of your head? I haven't really thought about too many free agents yet, but because someone did say, they looked at the free agent pool. This isn't a great free agent class, by sure. the way. But I think gone are the days of like, you know, big free agent classes. It's all more about trades or going and getting those mm-hmm. Joe Ingles, Bruce Browns, Kyle Anderson types for the mid-level and building th- right. that way and then making your big splashes via trades. And and even with like the minimum. I mean, partly some of these names that I'm going to be talking about are they're going to be low salary guys. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the free agent pool isn't great. And also the fact that the wolves don't have much financially to work with. I mean, it, it changes it a little bit. Like it doesn't need to be a minimum player if you don't bring back Nas. Right. Or if you don't use them, whatever, like we talked about what the factors are before, but I think the shooting, I mean, I'm looking from like a bench standpoint of what you would want to add to this team. And I think Finch said this to some extent at exit interviews too. You want shooting, you want more perimeter defense, and then also I think you want more zip to the basket, right? Like a richer man's Jalen Noel. Like those are the three bench areas that you're, you know, you're trying to check that box. Um, the shooting one I think is a little bit easier, again, particularly if you don't think about – if you don't have Nas in, in the picture. You got Trey Lyles who, you know, would pr- – probably a better stretch big than Nas is. You lose a lot of the other Nas stuff. Muscala can shoot it from deep. We're talking, I mean, that's a minimum player there. Ingles, again, is one for obvious reasons, the Utah connection in terms of a shooter. I also also think Terrence Ross is a really good shooter. Um, that, 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 like, again, for a minimum, a minimum type player, those were, those were the shooter ones uh, that, that came up to me. I think a name as people are, are seeing, a lot more in the playoffs too is, is Gabe Vincent. That's not going to be a minimum player. Uh, and that would be, you know, that's where you're talking about more mid-level exception, but from a shooter standpoint, that's kind of what I came to defensively. Bruce Brown, we mentioned, uh, Dante DiVincenzo. He's probably like a full mid-level type guy, I would guess, uh, in, in more of that defensive realm. It's hard to find zip to the basket, Jalen Noel type guys. There's not a, there's not a lot of that uh, on the free agent board that I that I was intrigued by. Will I would Barton. take also going back going back to any like I would take anyone from the Heat, you know, like <laughs> any of the undrafted guys like Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, Kyle Martin, Steve <laughs> Martin. Like any of the Martins would be good because they just seem to know how to play basketball. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was kind of a free agents thing. Again, I don't want to if we get two more and people keep hearing Dante Divincenzo, people are going to start drinking. <laughs> uh, 
so let's let's go pivot for a second. We don't mind to like this idea of the run it back and what it actually means. Yeah. Uh, there are 64 questions in the Google Doc here, but I thought this one was cool because I, I I also like just again shout out to everyone that listens to these pods or what I do with Phil. Uh, so this is from at Terry Louie. Uh, it says, good day, Dane. I'm Terry from Ghana in Africa. Been a Wolves fan for close to eight years. Love and follow your stuff. My question is simple. How do I not lose my mind if the Wolves don't alter the two bigs thing this summer? Because the times I stay up to watch their games are pretty wild considering their time zones. I need to see something else. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that a handful of questions were about this, right? I Also, Zachary Felker uh, had one where he said, what would the team have to do to make you want to see the two bigs line up for a third season, right? Like, what would have to happen this next year that you're like, yeah, run it back again, right? Or, or keep mm-hmm, this identity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main thing, right, is I want to see significant and consistent identity of what I call Nas Week, right? Like, that that week of the, the road trip where they effectively stayed big and impose their big identity for 48 minutes throughout games. And you see that consistently throughout the season. I think if you believe in that, and maybe part of that for you is having Nas be back because you've actually seen that work before, being able to see that would be big for me. And then also significant, significant growth between Ant and Rudy. I think to Terry from Ghana, like, you have to have belief in that, that those things, that that identity can become a consistent thing night to night. And you have to believe that the ant and Gobert connection can be better. I'm really even like leaving out the Carl and Rudy part of it. Like that weirdly, like the pairing of just them is not the biggest part to me. The biggest part to me is ant and Rudy. And then having an identity and, and maintaining it. Like, I think that is what, if 12 months from now we're having a conversation and Carl's contract is about to elevate and Ant's it's going to kick in and all this and that, and we're like, have to keep this identity, have to keep this group together, is because we believe in that identity and we believe in Ant and Rudy. This is another one, just under the Twin Towers kind of mentality. Yeah, uh, let's, just, uh, J- let's just push the like Ant and Nas ones to the next episode. So we'll just yeah, wrap okay, it up cool. here with this part. Yeah. Uh, just a little uh, production meeting yep, on the yep. fly. Uh, at Jay Stein 2. Th- this is a good one. I-, I-, I want to pick your basketball brain on this. Can you talk about what Cat can add to his game that helps him beat Smalls that will be guarding him next season in, in a playoff run? As Again, as you kind of watch the playoffs now, teams just at the end of the day do go small, second half, fourth quarter, those types of things. We've seen it a lot with Carl not being able to kind of punish those matchups, uh, draw a lot of charges, you know, just do things. So from a basketball standpoint, purely on the court, what do you think would be like, I don't know, the biggest thing that he could add to his game or just focus on this summer, knowing that that's the expectation of what he'll see next season? Lower body strength. That's the biggest thing. I'm looking at the ability. Leg day. Yeah, for real. And and I mean, right, to Carl's credit, I mean, part of that is understandable. He was had an immobilized leg for months, right? And I think we saw, I mean, an issue I've seen with Carl over the, you know, even past two, three years since he trimmed down post-Tibbs days is the ability to get and maintain low post position, right? 
and he was an absolute weapon on the block in terms just from a scoring standpoint there. And so much of that has to do with establishing that, fighting for that position, getting that position, and playing out of that position. If you have that, then it's going to open up more things in your offense. And I know there's like the temptation when the doubles are going to come, which they're going to come to Carl, is to push yourself out to that 16-foot area, even if you're literally being pushed, but even just for the ability to make the pass, to have that skip pass, right? He saw so many of those doubles two years ago that he had to navigate. And I think he's rewired himself in a way to want that elbow extended position rather than block position. Um, to be able to beat the smallest man, you got to beat them where they don't want to be. And and that's at the rim. And I think that's with strength, particularly in the lower body to, to, to have that, to have that position to go back to being the massive post up threat that he was. And I know that sounds kind of weird. And now that he's a power forward and all those sort of things, but we watched the playoffs. Where did Carl get the ball? A lot of the time in the way that they ran offense in this, it was in at the block and unfortunately too often at the elbow extended where the, the Aaron Gordons, the Nicholas Batum's, the, all those type of guys, that's where they want to play cat. They don't want to play him on the block and they don't want to play him above the break from three. So play him where they don't want to be, you know, and, and develop your game, regather strength. We've seen him do all these things. Tap back into those things. I think lower body strength is the biggest thing for me. Okay. Let's do one more question on kind of this. There was a lot of questions. We kind of did talk about some of them, why maybe you would trade Carl instead of trade Rudy, right? Just because mm -hmm. again, I think a basic reasoning would be is that Carl's younger and has more value. Yeah. And if you're trying to, you know, if you feel like you're poor, go get the one option that gets you more assets and more money. Uh, but this would kind of be a nice way too, because we hammered this in July and August and September of, 2022 when we tried to figure out okay this is a big experiment how is it going to look how is it going to work so from at raising floors on twitter can you compare contrast the cat rudy to like other two big teams in terms of like rim protection switchability as we just talked about punishing switches offensive spacing and supporting cast and then he listed like Giannis and brooke lopez al horford and rob williams stephen adams and triple j and then some more older school ones like dirk Nowitzki, tyson chandler al horford and Embiid. Gasol and Ibaka, um, some of those, I mean, those are all very different combos. Mm -hmm. But I do remember me specifically enjoying the Al Horford-Rob Williams comp a year ago because yeah. it seemed like the most uh, similar to what the Wolves would be doing with a spacing big and then a rim protecting big. Uh, just brain thoughts. Like, what are you thinking now a year into it? Do any of those seem similar to what the Wolves have? And, you know... Are any of those teams making, I mean, Giannis and Brooke is interesting, but Giannis is like also Giannis. just their Anthony Edwards, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. Ant and Carl had a baby. That that works for them. None of those teams that I just listed or those duos really have a, a player like Ant. I mean, maybe Tatum, but so what are your thoughts on like those and their ability to protect the rim, switch, offensive spacing, all that stuff? Honestly, one, and people aren't going to like this, the one that it reminds me most of is Horford and Embiid in Philly. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, just literally watching Philly and Boston play in this series, I've been just finding myself thinking that and how great Horford has been and how great Embiid has been and how they're doing it in, on, on opposite teams and how they could not do that together uh, in Philadelphia. It would have been interesting to like have seen that get a little bit more rope, right? 
the to the idea like I wish we would have seen year two or year three of Horford and Embiid, right? That would have been such mm-hmm. an interesting anecdote to use here in the Cat and Rudy thing. Um, year one of Horford and Embiid looked like year one of Cat and Rudy to me. And yep. Yep. so then it kind of breaks down there because now we're going in, we're going into year two. And yeah, the, the Giannis and Brooke one was the aspirational one, right? And the biggest difference was was Giannis's ability to be that for that low man to come over the the rim protector in ways that that Carl can't do. Much like obviously Giannis can't shoot like Carl. Carl can't do defensively those things. So from the double big alignment, it doesn't work that great to me. And and I think like the next step, and this one isn't listed on there. I think like the next step is like the Jared Allen and Evan Mobley type one where we're like, right. Those two clearly after that Knicks series, they need to up their physicality. Right. But we saw them mm-hmm. like, they looked like a year, another year into the process, still not all the way there. Right. They lack physicality and that hurts them in that series. And I think again, if the wolves are in the playoffs next year, the hope is that isn't what happens. But right. As we sit here right now, having watched that te- the wolves struggle to rebound and struggle to be physical, um, I think the aspiration is next step is Mobley and Allen, but stronger and more offense and a, a significantly more uh, dynamic offensive weapon. The Horford and Williams one, it just, again, thinking about that and watching these Philly Boston games, it's just such a unique one given the players that they surround them with, right? Right. Um, yeah. It, it's just like. The reason I like that one is because. That it even kind of one. <laughs> well, right, but it's also of all those other combos we talked about. Even going back to like a a Dirk and Tyson Chandler, right? Because there's been a lot of I, I don't know if we've been making those, but like Carl and Dirk comps, right? And Tyson Chandler and Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Well, none of those other older comps, the Gasol and Ibaka stuff, like had what the Wolves have, and like an Anthony Edwards kind of yep. Jade McDaniels, and that's why I like the Celtics one is because they have this two right. big kind of combo, but then they also have this foundational maybe the best wing pairing in the league in Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. So that's why it's like, well, that's about as similar as it gets to what Minnesota's trying to do until you actually kind of play it out on paper. And it's like, actually, it doesn't, doesn't look like what Boston's doing. It's also like, and Grant, it's been weird with Williams, right? That he's been like in and out of the lineup these past two years. So they haven't, again, they haven't really sustained a double big identity over the course of a season. I think, I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but watching that series, those guys are pretty staggered to to my mm-hmm. eye. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel like they're playing a ton together, um, and so maybe that's again part of the step with Cat and Rudy. Like you you stagger a lot, and you find identities throughout the stagger, as the Celtics have, and obviously, like the top of the pyramid is being able to put it all together and close games with that, or be able to play both of the bigs together. But it's just. I mean, obvious statement, it's getting significantly harder across the board to be able to do two big period. I mean, and that is just becoming, has become increasingly apparent in round two, you know, of the playoffs, the Warriors Lakers series. It's like, man, it's hard to play Looney and Draymond together. Right. And, 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 and that's, that's apples and oranges. Those are two non-shooters. Obviously cat is a great shooter, but Man, it like there isn't a great example 
of of how it will work. And if it does work, it will work because Cat and Rudy are so great at what they're great at, and no two bigs have put been put together in that sort of way that there even is really an example of it. So it doesn't mean it's impossible. I just, having watched this for a year, I just don't know which one to point to that's like, this is the great one that it can be. I, I don't know. Just to clean up something, I am on the record now saying that Al Horford and Rob Williams is like the ideal one. Uh, Rob Williams hasn't started a single game against the Sixers. So so for us to be like, oh, that double big, they actually don't run a double big. They, it, play they Horford did the, and, against the Warriors in the finals last year, though, right? Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a really good thing, though. I think that's a really good way to segue to my final question for part one. Part two, by the way, is loaded. We might have to go to part four. Uh, but you said, and I really respect, I mean, we're friends, but I also respect you. I respect Brett. I respect the fact that you're at all these games and you see it up close just as much as like any fan that watches all 82 games. And you said in your mind right now, you don't think the double big thing works. So I want to circle back because I like this question. It's from, it's from my guy, Jarrett in Dilworth, Minnesota. He's a, uh, he's a farmer with his dad. He somehow found my work email. Uh, so as I'm switching jobs, it was like the, one of the last emails I received at my work email, but uh, it's an interesting topic. And I want to get your opinion here before we close out. Is it possible that we, as a collective, Wolves fans, media, whatever, are being too harsh on Tim Connolly's vision after one season as GM slash president. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love his give his analogy. I love the the analogy. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, let me let me study. Um okay. He's saying are you talking about the 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 ship? Yeah. Okay. He goes, Yeah, but I think being I but I think being a general manager in the NBA, even though I've never done it, must be something like being the rudder of a ship. A really big ship. You can make changes, drastic changes, but it takes as lo- a long time for them to take effect. It takes an even longer time to get the direction you want to go, and it takes an even longer time to reach the destination. What I'm saying is, I think Tim Conley is a smart person. I think he was probably pressured by outside forces, maybe ownership, to make a splash, but I don't think he puts his career on the line if he doesn't believe in it. And I think that's a real, I mean, the, the ship one, I'm that's money. a sucker for a good analogy, but <laughs> yes, you are. It, 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 it is something that I try to think about because I, it's, it's clear. It's clear. We're, we're very locked into our replies or you know, the comments we see. Everyone is out on this after year one, and I'm not saying you're wrong by any means. I, I think you have a lot of data to show this doesn't work. You just said it. Like, I'm not sure this is going to work. But I also think, too, that this idea of time, and we'll get into this a little more maybe in part two with consistency, I do think that these the best teams right now in the league like need a little time to just gel and figure it out. And no one, no one, I don't want to hear how many games Carl missed this season because it sounds like an excuse, but it's also a real data point. Yeah. Him and Rudy have played, you know, the same amount of games so far as like, I don't know, Vando and LeBron, <laughs> right? Like there's there's only so much that we've been able to gather. And that's what makes this season more frustrating than I think anything else is just mm-hmm. – we went through all these roller coasters and we don't even know what we don't know. Mm. So I do think it's possible that we're being too harsh on him. I also think that he didn't, you know, he came in firing and it sounds like a miss so far, a really expensive miss. That's why I always go back to, I don't think this team is all in. I just think they're pot committed and they're heavily pot committed, but you saw, I, I really, again, man thought that that Mike Conley Delo swap, even though Delo's been looking good was a, such a win of a trade to get what you need in a stopgap point guard, a young player, draft capital. Like if you can do more of those things than you do 
big dynamic splash moves like the Rudy Gobert thing. I think Tim Conley can figure it out and make it work. But I am I'm I'm curious. I'll throw it back to you. Like, is do you agree? Like, is it possible that we're being a little too harsh here? Yeah, well, it, it's the idea is that if it does work, it is going to take a long time. That's why the analogy rules. Like, it will take a long time to take effect, and it will take a while to even start going in the direction you want to go. It will take even longer to get to the destination. The messed up thing is we are so impatient in in this day and age in, in terms of building teams and, and where they are or are not going to go, right? And and to some extent, it's fair to be. It is it is fair, the people who have concerns, and I lump myself into that in a major way of, you know, if the ship is turning and it takes a long time to turn and we're not even sure it's aimed at the destination, that's scary given the ant variable. Both things can be true. That's how I feel. That is how I feel, both. I am scared of the idea that if they are turning the ship in a direction that takes years to turn that you might lose some critical ant time yet at the the same time it's like if this ever was going to work it was going to take longer and it's a great reminder from Jarrett right who who said that of like and and you know we I certainly pick a lot at what Finch and Conley have said over the course of the year, you know, on the record and, and some of that is fair, but they did say too, that, you know, it is, was going to be a, there was going to be choppiness to it. And there was other things that made it even more choppy, obviously the injuries, illnesses, all that sort of stuff. But it is the glass half full view and there is for sure water in the cup, right? Like it is the glass, (laughs) the glass that, that, there is merit to to that stance, and it would be a hell of a to go full circle with this. It'd be a hell of a lot easier to believe in Tim Conley captaining the ship if he would tell us he's going to captain the ship, and um, that Bingo. is not happening right Bingo. now. So, and it goes it goes back to why I was frustrated at the top and why I rambled and I rambled with Phil the other day. It's because. When you bring in Tim Conley or you go look at other GMs, you, what we do is we look at them like they're basketball reference. We say, well, what transactions have they made? Mm-hmm. Tim Conley drafted Nikola Jokic. It's like, okay, well, there's a lot of context that goes into all of that. He drafted him in the second round. He passed, you know, like could have drafted him in the first round. Um, but there's other things that go into that role. And that's the stuff that you see a lot more, I think, than others. It's like the relationships behind the scenes, right? Like him, you know, hugging Ant and walking down the hall. Like the relationships with executives, with agents, all that stuff. So that's the things that I hear that are like Tim's really, really good at. And what frustrated me about the Chad Hartman stuff to bring it full circle, like you said, and close this one out. That's also part of the job. Hmm. If you are, if you go big game hunting to get a top five exec, you want that person to literally be the voice box for your organization. And you can't, you know, go ghost people (laughs) all season, right? Like you need to be out there again. I've always kind of harkened back to the late, great Flip Saunders. He was probably a little too transparent. He was a little more like me. Like he'll just, he'll tell you what he's eating, what he's wearing. He'll show you the draft board, whatever on a Friday K fan call. But I don't want that, but I do want when times are tough or when there is a players only meeting or Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert fighting, like to step out in front of it, that is part of your job. You are supposed to be for better or worse, kind of a meat shield of protecting your brand and your organization. And that's where I think he dropped the ball uh, with Chad Hartman. And that's where I think, if he is staying, 
and it is true that he's not interested in going anywhere else, that would be something that I hope he works on just as much as this roster is because this fan base deserves transparency. Any fan base does, but this one specifically deserves to know at least the things that we should know, like who is going to work here, who is going to show up, who is, you know, injured, who is not injured. I think that's a great place uh, to to wrap it up, Kyle. We, as predicted, did not get to as many things uh, as as we wanted to, and this went longer than, than I thought it would too. But I'm glad we're doing two parts of it because there's a lot of other good questions, a lot of different topics uh, that, that we haven't uh, hit on. So you and I are going to reconvene later uh, this evening to, to put this uh, part two together, and that'll come out, I think, on, on Wednesday morning. So... He's Kyle Tige. Uh Follow him on Twitter at Kyle Tige and listen to him over at uh, Flagrant Howls. I was going to say Flagrant North. That, that'd be an interesting one. Maybe we should agree. That's my next pod, yeah. <laughs> it's just about like the, just Duluth and travel activities up there. <laughs> uh, we will be back uh, for part two uh, with, with Kyle. And uh, yeah, until then, he's Kyle. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.